We have the, uh, the privilege and the pleasure to have Brother uh, Shelton Gibbs IV uh, here with us this evening to uh, preach to us from God's Word. Uh, Brother Gibbs is, uh, serves as a state district judge for the 422nd District Court in Texas. He was born in Terrell, Texas, and he grew up serving and attending the Greenville Avenue Church of Christ with his father, who uh, Shelton Gibbs III, who was a preacher there. He's also a graduate of ACU and the law school at SMU. In 2007, Shelton returned home to Kaufman County and worked for 13 years as assistant district attorney and chief felony prosecutor there. In, in 2020, Shelton was elected as Kaufman County's first African-American district judge. A fifth generation Christian evangelist, Shelton serves as the family life minister for the Greenville Avenue Church of Christ. Been a speaker at many churches, civic organizations, and academic uh, institutions throughout the United States. Shelton lives in Kaufman County with his, his, uh, his wife, Francine, and their three children. We look forward to hearing the word from you. Preach the word, brother. Let the church say amen. amen. I just believe you can do a little bit better than that. Let the church say amen again. All right. That was a lot better. Uh, I'm looking for my wife, but she's, I guess she's not in here. I did bring her. So, uh, so I am not single. I am married, and she is the most beautiful woman that is in this building, and you'll get to meet her. Her name is Tony Francine Gibbs, and I have my two sons, and I believe my daughter with me. She may be with her mother. Amen. Um, but I'm going to ask my boys to stand up. Uh, this is Shelton V, and this is Hamilton Gibbs, and that's my wife's maiden name, and so... Uh, we're very proud of our children, very proud of my family, and I always appreciate their support. So you tell her I said nice things about her when she wasn't here. <laughs> I've been told that I have 30 minutes, and so I'm going to try to, uh, I've used one minute and, and three seconds. And so I'm, gonna, I'm going to enter, that one doesn't count, amen. And so um, I want to thank the leadership here, seriously, all jokes aside, I want to thank the leadership here at McDermott Church of Christ, uh, specifically Brother Wes McAdams. I have so much respect uh, for Brother Wes, and I've had the opportunity to speak to him on several occasions, and I appreciate uh, him and you guys for extending this opportunity for me to stand and to speak to you on this, on this evening. Now, I don't know if I'm supposed to preach or if I'm supposed to teach, but I'm going to do, do what, what comes natural. I don't know what that is yet, amen, so, so we'll see. But if you have your Bibles, be, be turning with me uh, to a familiar text. That's 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. John writes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. 
for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. I want to take for a subject on this evening, God's courtroom. God's courtroom. It is sobering, always a sobering thing as a prosecutor to watch and even now as a judge to watch individuals come into the courtroom in shackles. For whatever reason, and, and I'm going to interrupt myself just one second. This is, this is my beautiful wife. I told you she was the prettiest thing in here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And this is, this is also my beautiful daughter, Lyndon, if you'll raise your hand. And uh, that's what happens when you're late. <laughs> so as I was saying, it, it is it's one of the most sobering things to sit on the bench and have a, a jail chain come in. And you have these men and these women, oftentimes young, but many times older, who are in shackles. And you realize that, that, that they are trapped uh, figuratively and literally in the criminal justice system. I think it's equally uh, profound to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who have heard it all of their life and even for those who have heard it for the first time to realize that each and every one of us are trapped in God's system of spiritual justice. We may never, you may never, stand in front of a physical judge, but in this moment, you are sitting in front of the judge of this world. In a spiritual sense, we are born into God's courtroom. Our trial begins at birth. Job will write. He says that a man born of a woman is but a what? A few days and full of trouble. One day, your trial will end. Hebrews 9 and 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after death, judgment. When you examine this text, what I want you to see is that there are, there are three characters. And the first character that I want to expose to you in this text is the father or the judge of this world. Point number two or the second character that I want to expose to you is Satan, the devil, the prosecutor. And he doesn't want you to have a happy life. He doesn't want your family to work out. Uh, he, is, he is after your soul. And then lastly, I want to talk about the advocate. Can you all say amen? amen? Amen. We're going to talk about the advocate, and that's something to smile about. When you think about the world, the world is full of judges. And I'm not talking about judges that are, are in black robes and sit on benches. I'm talking about you guys. Amen. Talking about the person that's next to you. You're judging me and I'm judging you. Uh, we judge each other by our appearance. 
Uh, we judge each other based on uh, where we go, how we talk, how we walk, uh, what time we get there. Amen. We're constantly judging each other. But when I think about judges, and I think about us as human beings, there is only one judge of eternity. And we see him in the text, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. Listen, listen to what uh, John writes. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, he has a what? Y'all can talk. See, do you, do you guys need me to come down and talk to you? Amen. It's okay. It's okay. If I get close to you, I don't bite. But John says that we have a what? We have an advocate with the Father. Let me ask you a question. Why do you need an advocate? And that's not a rhetorical. Well, it is a rhetorical question. Y'all don't have to answer me because I'm supposed to be preaching and not teaching a class. Paul says in Acts Chapter 17 and verse 31, because the Father has appointed a day where he will judge the world in righteousness. I want you to think about that. The reason you need an advocate is because God has already gone on record that there is a day that he is going to judge the world, not based on your standard, but based on his standard, which is what? Which is righteousness. The ecclesiastical writer says, for God shall bring every work into judgment, whether it be secret or whether it be good or whether it be evil. My question this, this evening is why do we need an advocate with the father? Matthew says it this way. He says, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. And nothing here that shall not be made known. He goes further. He says, don't fear him that can destroy only this temporal body. But fear him who can destroy both body and soul in what? In hell fire. So when we think about the father, when we think about the God of heaven, it makes sense that he would be the judge of this world because he did what? He created it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning, it was who? God that created the what? The heavens and the earth. I'm getting some help over here. Amen. We've got to understand that, that God will say in Isaiah 66 and verse number 1, heaven is my throne. I want you to think about the God of heaven. He says that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The God of heaven, the judge of this world is so big, he's so grand that, that he rests his feet on the earth. Amen. James chapter 4 and verse number 12 says there is one lawgiver. And judge who is able to what? To save and to destroy. What am I saying? I am saying very simply that we find ourselves, even in this moment, and everybody in the world, whether they acknowledge God or not, they find themselves in God's system of justice. And guess who the judge is? 
The judge is God. Reminds me of a story of two boys, and these boys were bad boys. Y'all know some bad boys? Yeah. Not my sons. <laughs> but there were some bad boys, and they went, uh, the mother was trying to get some help with her sons, and so she goes to the preacher, and she's heard that the preacher, he's able to discipline young men. So the preacher says, bring me the oldest first. So long story short, the oldest comes and sits before the preacher, and the preacher, in his most stern voice, he says, son, my voice is not that deep, but his voice is deeper. Uh, son, do you know where God is? And the boy just remained silent. And so he asked again in, 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 a, in a different tone. He said, son, do you know where God is? And then lastly, in a booming voice, he says, son, do you know where God is? The boy jumps up and he runs home and he and he locks himself in the closet. And the younger brother, not knowing what's going on, he said, what happened? And he said, God is missing. And they think we did it. <laughs> Here's my point. Now, now, that's funny. But my point is, is, there are a lot of people, even in this room, who feel like God is missing. When we look at the way that we lead our lives, and we look at the way that we interact with each other, what is important and the priorities that we keep. We act like God is missing. But I've come to tell you that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is what? He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Amen. And so when you think about this trial, what is this trial really about? And I've got to move quickly. Look, look at your Bibles. Again, 1 John chapter 1 and verse, no, see, I need to get in here in this light. Amen. <laughs> How do y'all stay awake with the, with the light so dim out there? All right, this is better. He says in verse number three, that which we have seen. And heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with who? All right, come on. That, that, that ye also may have fellowship with who? With us, thank you. And truly our fellowship is what? Is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. What I want you to see is that that this trial is really about one thing and one thing only. God wants fellowship with his creation. He created us to have fellowship with, with him. But the next verse in, in verse number five, look at what the Bible says. This is the message which you have heard and declare of him that God is what? That God is what? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Here's my point, is that the God of heaven, he rewards light and he punishes darkness. He can have fellowship with light, but he cannot, he cannot, he cannot have fellowship with darkness. The Bible says that God is light and in him is no what? Is no darkness at all. And so he cannot associate with men because, because men are in their sins. 
He cannot have fellowship with man because we make mistakes. We do things that we should not do. We are not consistent with God's word. And so when you look at this, this paradigm of God's courtroom, you've got to understand, number one, that we're talking about the judge as being who? The judge is God. The trial is about light and about what? About darkness. God wants fellowship, but he cannot have fellowship with those who walk in darkness. Why? Because God is light. You know what light means? Light means that God is righteous. It means that God does not make mistakes. It means that God is perfect. It means that, that God does not err. We err. And so therefore, God cannot have fellowship with us. And see, sometimes I think that is what we miss. We walk around as though God owes us something. We view ourselves differently than, than, than God views us. See, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And just because you took a shower and you are dressed and you are here at church does not do anything for who you are at your core. We are sinful. We are unworthy. We are, we are darkness. And until we get that, we cannot appreciate the grace of God. Put my Bible down and just talk to you, amen. Because you guys are such a uh, quiet audience. Amen. So, <laughs> I like to have fun. And, and uh, if you don't like to have fun, I won't be here next week. Amen. Uh, <laughs> and so, so, so I can move on. You guys know who the judge is? You've seen that? All right, I'm going to deal with the prosecutor now. When I think about life, sometimes we don't appreciate that we have an adversary. See, it's people in your business who troll you on Facebook, People at work who don't like you, and you think that they're uh, adversaries, but you have an eternal adversary that is, is not just, just jealous of you. He wants your soul. As a former prosecutor, I prosecuted for 13 years, and I tried everything from uh, capital murders to sex assaults of children, and my job was to seek justice, to make sure that the wrongs were righted. But this prosecutor, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, he is your adversary. He is as a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. Revelations 12 and verse number 10 describes him this way. He is the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God both day and night. Let me say this, I alluded to it earlier, but he has a good case. He has a good case, each and every one of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves and if we were to, to, to write down all of the secret things that God knows about us and that Satan knows about us, uh, even our thoughts, the pride that we have, the way that we see other people, 
our selfishness. He has a good case. And when I think about a prosecutor, a prosecutor knows how to cross-examine. And Brother Richardson, is it Brother Richardson? Brother Harris, I'm sorry. See, I, I, don't, I don't know very many of you guys, but I got to pick on somebody. Who wants, who wants to be picked on? <laughs> Brother Harris. I'm sorry, Brother Harris. Yes. What's your name? Brother, you cross-examine an individual. And see, this is, this is what Satan does to us. He'll say, uh, not Brother Harris, but Brother, Brother Phillips. I thought it was Brother Phillips. He'll say, Brother Phillips, do you believe in God? Yes. Y'all heard that, right? Do you believe that you have fellowship with God? Yes. Do you believe that God is on your side? Yes. So, point of emphasis, if, if the prosecutor is asking you questions and you keep saying yes, then it's not good for you. Amen. <laughs> 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 Brother Phillips, do you believe every word in the word of God is true? Yes. Do you believe 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6 is an accurate statement? Yes. You better read it first. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's in the Bible. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> messing with you. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Uh, so you believe that if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is, this is what Satan does. Satan in the courtroom, and this is in your mind, he says, may I approach your honor? And he has with him Philip's exhibit number one. And he offers it. And he asks the judge, can he publish it? And then he plays it, not for everybody, but he plays it in your own mind. And he says, is this you, Brother Phillips? And I don't know who Brother Phillips is. I hope I'm not picking on the wrong man. Amen. <laughs> is this you? Hmm. <laughs> Back in... 1976, in the club, doing some things that you should not have been doing. Brother Phillips, then he, then he, then, then, then he comes back and he says, um, this is Phillips Exhibit 2. And he asks the judge if he can approach. And he plays it again in your mind. Is this you? In 1982, and he shows the picture of whatever it was that you did. And see, see that, that is me joking with you. But the honest truth is that there are a lot of people who no longer come to church, who struggle with lack of faith because of issues that Satan has used to attack their faith. And I'm talking, about, I'm talking about people who are struggling with their sexual identity. I'm talking about people who, who Satan offers into evidence 
that time late at night when you were texting your secretary. Amen. I'm talking about things that that real people go through. See, in church, a lot of times we are sanctified and we hide behind our suits and we hide behind our ties and we hide behind our perfume and cologne. But you know, Satan does not hide behind suits and ties and cologne. Satan is able to go where no one else can go, into the closet where the skeletons are buried. And you know what? He has one goal and one goal only. See, see, God and Satan want the same thing. They don't want your house. They don't want your money. They don't want your children. You have something that is so precious that in the spiritual realm, there is nothing more valuable than this. You know what that thing is? That is your faith. There are so many people who, who, who God has had possession of their faith, but because of adversity, because of loss of children, because of loss of job, because of issues where Satan is offering evidence and publishing it in your own mind, that people lose hope. He wants you to find yourself in a place where, where, where you have no hope. What is the point? Reminds me of a story of frogs that were that were, it was a group of frogs, a big group of frogs that were hopping through the forest and two of them fall into a pit. And uh, these frogs are trying to get out of the pit and they're jumping, jumping for, for their lives and, and the rest of the frogs are on the outside looking in and, and they're saying, you'll never make it. There's no way you can get out. Stop trying, stop jumping. You can't make it out of this hole. One of them listens and stops jumping and dies. The other one just keeps on jumping and jumping and jumping until he finally jumps out. And the frogs that are at the top, they say, why did you keep jump jumping? Didn't you hear us discouraging you? And he said, I'm deaf. I thought y'all were encouraging me. <laughs> my point is, my point is, is that there's so many people who have succumbed to Satan. And it's not, it's not anything except that he has stolen faith. I want to show you in the last few minutes that I have, the advocate. Turn back to the text, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. Listen to what, what John writes. He says, my dear children, I'll write this to you. So that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have a what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you know, as uh, a person that works in the courthouse, they always say, you do not want an appointed attorney. And in that case, I, I, I would agree. But Jesus is a different court-appointed attorney. What you've got to see is that based on Ephesians chapter 1, that he is not only appointed, but he was prepared and predestined to take your case since the foundation of the world. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. And he is skilled. There's a story in John chapter 8 where, where this, this man in the form or this God who is in the form of, of man um, has these 
has this woman who was caught in adultery brought to him. And these scribes and Pharisees, they say that, that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus, the wise, skilled attorney that he was, the Bible says that he stooped down and used his finger and he wrote in the ground. Doesn't say what he wrote in the dirt, but he wrote something. And the Bible says that, that when he stood up, he gave the shortest, most profound closing argument that any man has ever given. He says what? He says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then you know what he does? He stoops back down and he begins to write again. And the Bible says that, that all of these accusers, all of these prosecutors, they begin to leave from the what? From the oldest to the youngest. What I want you to see is that, is that this Jesus that God has appointed, he will allow you to represent yourself. And there are a whole lot of us in the world who are trying to represent ourselves. And in the end, you can, you can bring the, the money that you've amassed, your intelligence, your degrees, with all of your education and all of, all of what, what you believe makes you you, you can bring all of that and he will let you represent yourself. But God has already gone on record. There is no name given among men by which you must be saved. Not only will he let you represent yourself, but he'll let you hire another attorney. And there are a whole lot of people who, who, who have got so caught up in, in the Eckhart Tolle's of the world, a new earth, and all of the philosophies in the world. He will, he will let you, as smart as you are, take to all of these human philosophies, if you like, all of the psychology that we hear preached in the pulpits that has nothing to do with faith, hope, and love. Nothing to do with baptism, nothing to do with one church, nothing to do with the doctrinal precepts that he has, he has commanded in his word. A whole lot of folks who, who have gone to, to some of uh, the black Israelites. I see them in Walmart. <laughs> and they're preaching harder than we are. And they don't have the... They don't have book, chapter, and verse for anything that they're saying. Let me tell you about this Jesus before I take my seat. He is a legal scholar. He knows your struggle. He is on first name basis with the judge. And that's what you want. If I'm hiring an attorney, I want somebody who's going golfing with my judge. Amen. <laughs> but as I close... Not only is he your advocate, but he's your Fourth Amendment. Do you guys know what the Fourth Amendment is of the Constitution? Let me, let me make sure that I specify. So the Fourth Amendment is a prohibition against unlawful search and seizure. It simply says that an officer or someone who represents the government cannot seize your property. They cannot seize evidence against you unless they have probable cause supported in an affidavit which issues a warrant. And you know what happens 
is that sometimes officers like to, and, 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 and I pray there are no officers in here, but if you are an officer, you know what I'm saying is true, amen. Sometimes uh, officers rush and evidence is seized illegally, meaning that there's not sufficient probable cause. And you know what the attorney does? He files what is called a motion to suppress the evidence. And so you can have a crime with all of the evidence in the world, but if the officer went in the house and they seized the evidence without probable cause, you know what happens? That evidence gets suppressed. And so... The individual who is on trial, he knows that, that there were drugs in his house. The judge knows that there were drugs in his house. The lawyer that represents him knows that there were drugs in the house. But guess what? The jury never hears about it. It's as though the evidence never existed. And a prosecutor that has a case that was based on evidence that can no longer be introduced, that is no longer available. He has one option and one option only to dismiss that case. What you got to see is that the same circumstance is what Jesus has done for us. See, Satan has evidence on you. And he has, he has evidence that you know that you are guilty of. He knows and you know that the evidence that he possesses will damn you to hell. But you have an advocate. Not only is that advocate the lawyer that, that walks into to, to the courtroom with you, the courtroom of life, he walks with you. But he's able to file what is called a motion to suppress. Why? Because the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so when Satan accuses the brothers and sisters day and night, if you are in Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ. If you are a part of his body, he files motion to suppress. And when you go before the righteous judge who will judge every one of us based on the deeds done in his body, the secret things, the known things, everything, Let me put some Bible on it because you guys are looking at me funny. <laughs> Colossians 2 and verse number 14, having canceled the charge, having canceled the charge which stood against us, condemned us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what he did. That's why it's so important. You are caught, you are stuck in a system of justice that has two outcomes. One outcome is that you will live eternally with God. You'll have fellowship. The other outcome is that you will not have fellowship eternally with God. That's called hell. 
so, my question to you this evening is where are you in this system of justice? Are you representing yourself? Have you hired someone else? Has someone else taken or something else taken the position that only Christ should take? Because if that's the case, repentance is available. Confession is available. Jesus Christ, you come by hearing his word, believing it with all of your heart, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ to be the son of the living God, being willing to go down with him in the watery grave of baptism. That puts you into Christ. Amen. And that's why it's so important to be in Christ. When you look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Isn't that what God wants? We have fellowship one with the other. We have fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Not a one time, but continually. If you, if you walk with him, if you wake up with him, if you take him with you to work, if you, if you go to bed with him, if you, if you with your kids and you're playing, if you take him with you, if you put him in the middle of everything that you do and everything that you are, you are walking in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ. When you close your eyes for the last time, you'll see your Savior's face in peace. You won't have to be afraid of the judge because the judge... And the advocate, you're all in fellowship eternally. Dear Holy Father, we come to you just so thankful for this day. That on this Wednesday night, that there are those in this audience who fully appreciate that you are the God of this world. That you are the creator of this world. That you are the judge of this world. And there is nothing in this life that escapes you. There are no hidden things that, that you're unaware of. There's nothing that we can, we can hide from you. You see and you know all. I pray, dear God, that we will fully appreciate that this life that we're living is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for each and every one of us. And Satan knows the importance of this opportunity. And Satan is doing everything he can to destroy our families, to destroy our culture as Americans, to destroy the fabric of what it means to be decent. And I pray that most of all, we, we acknowledge that God has done it all. He predestined Jesus Christ. He prepared him for this purpose that man might have an advocate, that man might, despite his sins, be able to stand innocent not because he had no sin, but because the blood of Jesus Christ has paid the penalty, paid the sacrifice for our sins. And now the blood of Christ is able to cover all of those who are in him. And so I pray that when the Lord comes back, he asks the question, will I find faith on the earth? I pray that there is one tonight was offering their life, recommitting their life to you. 
offering the most precious thing that they possess, obedient faith. Pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.